and welcome to this week's episode from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter, as featured on BBC Radio 4 Extra's Podcast Hour and BBC Radio Manchester. On my podcast today, I chatted to local lad Dave Riding about his career as a professional skier for the country and also the cafe that he runs with his fiancée in Tartan called Boskins. Enjoy! Joining me today is Dave Riding, professional slalom skier for Great Britain. How are you today, Dave? I'm good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Why don't you take me back to how you first got into skiing when you realised you had a passion there? Um, it was a, a ski mad dad and a mum who was quite understanding of my dad's love for skiing. Uh, we used to go on one family ski holiday a year and um, we couldn't afford the French ski school. So instead we decided we'll, that the kids, me and my sister, would have to learn to ski before we went. So up to Pendle Ski Club we went, which is about 40, 40 to 45 minutes away from where I live. And um, yeah, from the first le- lesson, I absolutely loved it, loved the sort of freedom, loved the people up there and yeah it was uh, it never stopped we're quite a competitive bunch of people in the family so one thing led to the other and soon enough I was in the, the race team at Pendle um, and then racing around this country. And so is that the step that you took to become professional sort of through Pendle Ski Club and then how do you get sort of noticed for Great Britain and how does that work? Yeah it was never um, I wouldn't say it was a planned step because um as a Brit, it wasn't really the norm. So I was still, I was playing a bit of football or a lot of football and rugby around here. And But my dad loved skiing, so we kept doing that. And then as you progress, doors open and you learn what the next step would be and to how, how you can get better. And then, yeah, I didn't get recognised for Great Britain until I was actually like 18 or 19. Um, I was in the realms of very late to the sort of top of the top of British sport, never mind the world the World Cup level but yeah so one thing leads to another like you do the racing in the UK you hear about the racing on snow so you go and train on snow you race on snow and then you start working your way through those ranks as well and and everything takes time but uh eventually if you stick at it and work hard you can you can achieve it yeah I think it's really just amazing so that you started like the love from your ski like family ski holidays like we go on one like one CA like yourself and then from like when I was three just absolutely love it and the adrenaline and everything it's so much fun why did you choose slalom not sort of downhill or jumping or any of the other disciplines um a few reasons really um one because I was always a, a scrawny lad <laughs> so the downhillers tend to be a bit a different breed that they're like 110 kilos whereas I'm well right now I'm about 79 80 so I'm a diff- bit of a different build, but also because I did so much skiing in the UK, we only do slalom on the slopes in the UK because they're very short. So slalom's the only option. So while when I was, say, 18 to 24, I did downhill as well, um, I was always better at slalom. And then to try and make that last step in my mid-20s when it was like, it, I have to do it now, we just put all our eggs in the slalom basket and, and went for that. And uh, I would have liked to maybe do giant slalom as well. But um, j- 
just the the time I had and the um, the choices we made, it was a case of all or nothing on the slalom. And thankfully, that worked out. And who knows, if I'd have tried to do too many things, then you can be good at four events, but not great at one. So, mm. yeah, that's what we went for. And so how many years, you said you start when you were 18. I'm not asking your age. How many years have you sort of been professional now? Um, so I, my parents made me go to college and get my A-levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that at, at Runshaw College, just in Leyland there. And um, after that, they said, right, you can have one year where you go abroad and you can train abroad like the Austrians in their backyard and see how you get on. So after college, I... I wouldn't class myself as professional, but that's when I started doing this full time. Thankfully, I was able to get some local sponsors um, to help me. There was um, actually I went to I went to school with a guy, and um, his dad owned a fire alarm company called SeaTech. They, they do all the research, design, and everything in their company, and and he he supported me while he was also supporting his kids, and and my family also was supporting me. So. Yeah, I needed I needed help along the way, but um, yeah. And for a Brit, how is it to sort of train? What's like if we don't put COVID in the mix? So obviously we've not got the Alps and, and the mountains. Yeah. Is most of your training done on dry slope, and then you go off to somewhere where there's snow for a bit? Like how does it work? So now I've not skied on the dry slope since I was 21. So now all my training's abroad. Uh-huh. I'll occasionally go to the indoor snow centres just to do some kind of say say in June I don't ski now for three months so before I go back in June I might pop up to um, like chill factory or somewhere and do a couple of sessions just to blow the rust off a little bit mm. um, but yeah all my training is done abroad now on snow and yeah before it's it's normally okay it's, it involves quite a lot of flying which isn't always great but um, yeah we, we tend to do like three weeks away come back for a week to 10 days and then go away again but now like you say with covid um it was a whole different stress and um yeah logistically it was really tough the last 12 months so but we managed it so with your training you say you go for three weeks and then you come back do you go to like the same place or do you sort of look for where the snow's best or how do you do that so in the summer we'll we'll basically use two or three venues in june we'll go to an indoor ski hall either in Germany or Belgium, um, because they're just longer than the ones in the UK. And also that they prepare it with water. So they make it very icy for training. So they they aim at the training in the summer because not many people, not many tourists are skiing in the summer. So they just spray all their slopes with water, make it icier, which is good for training. And then come sort of August, September, we'll we'll go and use the glaciers in Switzerland. Um, so we go there for the for the summer months and train on the glaciers. So I don't like traveling around much. You could go to like Australia, New Zealand, Chile, Argentina for their winter season. But it seems like every time I do that, I, I start the season well. And then come January, I, for some reason, I've just struggled in January when I've done that. So I like staying in Europe. It, it's it's um, sort of lowers the travel, lowers the stress. And, and things like that so yeah and in terms of covid then like travels being restricted training i'm guessing you wouldn't have been able to sort of go and come back as often have you had to do more sort of um not land training but training off off the slopes to keep strong and things 
Um, so when COVID came like March last year, our season got cut short by two or three races. Um, and then everything was uncertain. So I, I ended up doing like 16 weeks of conditioning training where normally I'd do 10 and then go back skiing. But last year we had to do 16 before things started to, yeah, before we, re we, we knew what we were allowed to do and things started opening or whatever. So thankfully they started to allow professional sports teams to travel earlier as like, um, not we're not no not key workers don't get me wrong but for work purposes you could start to travel as long as you had covid tests and and we so we set up like bubbles that we would travel in mm. we would go out to europe we would stay in apartments we wouldn't go into hotels because then there's more chance of being around people things like that so once once we've done one or two camps that started to become the norm as such but everything meant more covid tests in the season, we couldn't travel anywhere near as much. One, because there just weren't the flights and Britain got red-listed because of its variant pretty yeah. quickly. Um, and two, yeah, the, the more you travel, the more risk there is to catch it from other people. So I stayed out in the, in the winter from the middle of November until the end of February, which I would never normally do. And it was very, very mentally tough because we can't... The Austrians can go home like in, every week if they want whereas we're in an apartment in uh in austria or wherever wherever we are so it was a strange season mentally tough but um yeah a bit of northern grit gets you through definitely do you feel as someone who doesn't live in the mountains and like you said like the austria austrians can just sort of ski and then come home and like they could literally just do that every day when the season's good do you feel sort of disadvantaged that to the to those skiers that you that you don't have that facility in England and have you yeah, ever thought it, about like moving and living in but yeah it's definitely a disadvantage more so when you're growing up now I can go out there train and yeah I, I don't get to go home as such but you go home you go back to the apartment and you can chill um now yeah it's not not a massively disadvantaged, but certainly growing up, it, it is. Maybe last year it was more of a disadvantage because of the stresses with COVID. You couldn't like switch off. You were always on on edge, um, that kind of thing. But um, it's just the growing up. You, but you just got to remember that you're always going to be slightly behind when you're when you're growing up. But um, it's not always a bad thing to be behind because you you're always you can always chase. You're not the one that's being chased, so you've always got something to aim for. And that makes the sort of motivational side of things a little bit easier, actually, because you know what you've got to get to. You're not you're not the one who's everyone's firing at. Yeah. And um, so you were selected for Team GB for your first Winter Olympics in 2010 in Vancouver. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, what was that like, sort of your first Winter Olympics and sort of how how did that feel? To be yeah it was it the first one it was eye-opening to be honest that's the best way I could describe it was a, a wake-up call um, not always a wake-up call but certainly like wow this is this is this is what these guys this is the top level basically this is the pinnacle um, it didn't help that like two months before it, our federation went into administration so we didn't even know if we were going but thankfully now we're all good on that side of things but um, yeah I learned a lot um, I was okay I wasn't I wasn't setting the world on fire then, but 
I certainly learned a lot. And um, I came back from it thinking, right, if I want to, if I want to be at that level, um, I've got to start with getting stronger, bigger, um, like these European guys. Um, so yeah, that's what I took away from it. It was a great experience. Um, when I was a kid, I always wanted to go to one Olympics and maybe be ranked in the top 30 in the world. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, it was always Vancouver was in the back of my mind. If I look back, it was when I was thinking about going there. It was 99% unrealistic and 1% realistic, but somehow yeah, I, I made it happen through, through it. When I look back, I'm thinking, what the heck was I thinking trying to be a skier, if you know what I mean? But yeah, you, you can do something if you put your mind to it. Definitely. And then in 2013, you went to your first World Cup. Is that right? Um, 2013 was my first World Cup points, yeah. Um, and so that was that the start of you sort of getting more recognised internationally from the your first Olympics? Yeah, definitely. Um, that was the first sort of step into the into World Cup top 30, which, okay, I wasn't ranked in it, but that was the first step to, to showing that there was, a, there was a chance that I could do this. Um, it actually took me another two years to, to do it again. Um, but, but once I started doing it again, then it became much more um, regular. But yeah, that's definitely where I certainly, people started taking note. And um, the same year, the, the Europa Cup tour, which is the tour below, um, it has a lot of the World Cup guys do it just for just for training, but I won that that whole tour, so that was where people really started taking me seriously and not just thinking, oh, I got beaten by a Brit, kind of kind of thing that used to go around. Yeah, I think it's I find it like really interesting as well, just watching you like I watch Ski Sunday, and then when it they obviously like dart from different disciplines, but when yeah. when you see like a British person like yourself like doing it and it's like I just think it's incredible because you're not like from the mountains but yet you're really good and it's it, like you said like northern grit and just like determination um and then so you said you wanted to be in the world's top 30 and so you got that in what year was that 20 20 15 or 16 I was I was ranked around 30 or 31 at the end of 15 and then 16 I really cemented myself in the top 30 yeah and then in 2017 I've read that you matched the best ever British results in a world cup yeah I was second in Kitzbühel who was the um who was the person from Britain who had the result before you matched so um there was a downhiller I'm guessing I think it was the 1980s it could be could have been slightly before but I don't think he's that old uh, he'd shoot me if I said he was called Comrade Bartelski and um like like my first podium no one really expected it he came down and uh yeah smoked his way into second um so yeah that that was that was what I was able to match I think it was like 36 years or something since then so yeah it was a long time and it was just good to get Brit that British flag. I when the results come up, obviously you see where the, the British flag. It was just nice to see that back, back in, even in the top top five or whatever. That was that was cool. Just to, I I love the flag for some reason. I really like the British flag, and um, I just think it's so cool when you see the British flag in in any sport, especially like when I watch the Olympics or wherever. When you see that British flag near the top, it's like oh that I just love that. Um, so yeah, it was cool for me to put the British flag uh, in the top three. Do you think that there's more British people um, 
getting into sort of professional skiing now, what do you think there still needs to be quite a lot to be done? Um, there's definitely a good, at the top level now, there's a good group coming through. It's so it, in any sport, I think it comes in waves. Um, you never, especially with the Brits, we're never going to have this constant, well, maybe we will in the future, but um, we, we haven't had in the past this constant sort of flow of people. It's always been a few people, then none, and then one or none. And so now there's a good group coming through. So when I retire, hopefully there will still be people on the TV for people to watch. And I think that's the important thing for the, for the next generation is, is always having someone to watch. I remember the, the cycling in, I don't know, 2002, when they started getting Olympic medals. Um, the, the momentum that cycling got from that and then always having that top level on the TV. And if you, if you look outside now, it's Britain's, it's really cool to see how many people are out cycling. I'm sure not everyone on the road agrees with me <laughs> because there's quite often a bit of a cycling and drivers debate going on. But yeah, it's, uh, it's good to see that cycling's been like that and managed to sustain its success. And hopefully, okay, skiing, I don't think it's ever going to be as big as that because we don't have the facilities, but certainly it's getting bigger and bigger, which is cool. And winter sports in general, not just Alpine, it's, it's really the freestyle, it's, um, it's across country. All the events are starting to do well. And I think that comes back now we have a federation that is able to offer these programs where, like I said, in 2010, the federation went into administration. We had no federation and then we had nothing after the Olympics. So it was tough, but now it's now everything's in place. So the athletes can now go out and succeed. Yeah, I think as well from maybe just because it was the age I was in 2018 when it was the Winter Olympics in South Korea, I think... Yeah. Um, I, I or like if I just like was chatting with friends about it and being more popular but I think it really took off in 2018 with more people being interested I remember um and you probably like you won't know this but when it was I think you were in the race for third I think and then um I went because I was doing some work experience at BBC Breakfast so me and Mike Bushell went down to Pendle Ski Club and watched it with like all the people there and oh, yeah. your sister was there as well and then, um, and then we're all watching and everyone, the like atmosphere and everyone was like, oh, Dave, and they're all chatting about, you know, it's so like nice to see everyone just really caring about it. And then I think Mike had to go on the dry, the dry slope at Pendle <laughs> at like six yeah. in the morning. But, um, I, and I, I just remember thinking like, you're not just like um, a Northern, like you're like a, a national skiing treasure. Like we're all just like backing you. And it, and it was such a, a lovely thing was that do you think that was your last olymp no it won't be your last olympics you'll probably no so there's what the next olympics is next year so i'm going to stick around for that um it's, it's a nice goal to have um it's something that i'll i'll definitely have to think about after the olympics what i do um i i'm more thinking that it might be my last year um just because of the lifestyle we talked about all the traveling um it's not just me that's making sacrifices it's my fiance um so yeah it's time to start thinking about others and not just thinking about myself but like you say with the the community and you probably get it in a lot of sports right down to the club level like I grew up at Pendle um, my dad was a coach at Pendle for years so um I I still I lo love just thinking about those times where I'd go up on a Sunday morning Sunday morning Tuesday night training great group of people 30 to 40 people we had up there just 
race training. It was really, real good community. And um, yeah, it's, I like it a lot when I see that because it, I know that, I know the feeling that that brings because I've been in that, not okay, not with someone from my club, but when Alan Baxter got his medal um, in two, 2002, okay, it got taken away. But um, yeah, I, I remember the feelings that I got then. So it's just cool that, it would be cool if it was someone else as well, but it's cool that I'm able to give those feelings to the next generation. And that's the, mm. that's the most important thing for me now is to almost to just inspire the next generation. So Alpine skiing keeps building. And I think you're doing that because from listening to the people who were at Pendle Ski Club, like even there was like children who were like six or seven and they were like, I'm so inspired by Dave. He's wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's just so nice. Um, where are the Winter Olympics next year? They are in, of all places, they're in Beijing, China. <laughs> ah, that's cool. Oh, so, yeah. I'm sure there'll be a lot of political debate whether we should be going and what or everything like this. Um, but yeah, I, it's not something that there's always political debate around Olympics. I remember before um, the last one in Pyeongchang, I was getting, I was getting Facebook messages, Twitter. I was getting tweets fired at me um, about people talking about the abuse to to dogs um, because I don't. I mean, yeah, it's. I, it's just not something that I can think about in the lead up to an Olympics. So, no, you, you should have seen yeah. the amount of yeah the amount of messages I was getting and saying we should boycott the Olympics, mm. blah blah blah. But it's just it's crazy. It's yeah, there's so much politics behind everything. But um, I'm yeah. sure there'll be even more around Beijing. <laughs> yeah. Have you? Do you think you? And uh, I can't remember. Have you ever held like carried the flag at the opening ceremony, or do you think? No, I've never done that. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I'm quite in line for that either. I think we should start like a campaign for Dave. Oh, yeah. Dave no, probably, well, the thing is like slalom's always the last event and the opening ceremony is two weeks. I've never been to an opening ceremony because I'm always training somewhere else. You never really get as good training at the venue. So more than likely won't be there for um, the yeah. opening ceremony. So do you, get try chance, and... do you get a chance before you go down the actual slope at the Winter Olympics to sort of have a go up that slope to suss it out, or do you not? No, no. Um, even the course, so we, we will, they will set the, the race course, whoever is setting, it's drawn out of a hat, which nation sets. And then we get 40, 40 to 45 minutes to inspect the course, like you can slide through it, uh, and then you have to race it. So, yeah, you don't see it before. You, you literally don't see it until um, an hour before you race it. So, yeah, it's... Um, that's that's quite a big part of racing is how you can visualize and how you can um, get your best performance out on that very first run. That's yeah. that's something that's a, definitely a skill you have to learn. So when you're at the top and there, you're like you're about to go down, like what's what's rushing through your head? Do you how do you focus? Like you because I'm yeah. sure adrenaline's like woo. Yeah, you get all sorts going through your head, like literally all sorts. Um, mostly doubt. Um, that's that's just a normal thing that everyone everyone's dealing with is is the self-doubt the like i've got 75 slalom gates to to get around without making a mistake without falling over etc so there's a lot of doubt that goes through your mind but i you get into a routine and when when you can get into a routine then you start forgetting those things and and i i just like to think about two or three technical focuses um normally I'm thinking about just to be disciplined with my upper body 
to make sure that I'm on the right line in terms of not, but what, what I mean by that is so I can carve the ski, not skid the ski. So just mm -hmm. not starting to turn too early. And then one thing from training, whether that's to move my upper body out of the turn or, or whatever it is, just to, just to take away the other thoughts. And then I'll, and then I'll rehearse going through the course in my, in my mind also before I'm going. So that, that tends to be how you get rid of those thoughts and get in the, in the race zone. And what kind of speed are you going down this? Um, in slalom, we're not going anywhere near as fast. It's, it's absolutely, it, I, I, I struggle to get flash going through Tarleton at the, on a 30 mile an hour limit. <laughs> now we do about 30 miles an hour in slalom. Wow. Um, the, the speed in slalom is the speed of movement. It's you're doing a slalom turn in under from gate to gate in under a second. So that's where the, it's much more agile, but in, in downhill, that's where they're doing the high speeds and, and they're doing a hundred miles an hour. So yeah, there's, there's a difference in slalom to downhill. Slal slalom's sounds. And also when I'm watching it, it looks like it's more technique based. I know the downhill skiers yeah. won't be out of control, but sometimes like they're just flying and you think, whoa, like they're just like yeah. going for it. So is it more sort of the rhythm you get into when you're turning and yeah, it's, there's a lot of agility. While you still have to be strong to deal with the forces, it's, it's much more quicker, quicker footed discipline. Um, yeah, getting the rhythm, check, but you've got to be able to change the rhythm. Um, yeah, it's just, you, it's much more like a, like a dance than an than a all out charge that downhill is. Yeah. Um, and so, like, the recent season that's been happening, like, when does the season start when it's is it... um it starts normally normally i'd start mid-november and finish mid-march but this year we personally yeah. i started the end of december until mid-march okay so you were in Adelboden in switzerland yeah. and you placed in january um how did that feel sort of be on the podium that was that the i've had three podiums now that was my third one um and literally they come when I least expect it. Um, it, it. Obviously it felt phenomenal. I didn't know if I'd ever get back on the podium after 2019, you never know, right? But yeah, so I'd just come off the back of a 27th in Zagreb, literally three, four days before. So mm. I was just thinking, do I still have it? Like what's, <laughs> what's going wrong? I've not had a 27th in years. It was one of my worst results in, in a long time. Um, so the, the mental battle in between those two races was, was crazy because yeah I thought well maybe I'm th like the doubt like I was talking about I'm 34 maybe maybe that's maybe that's it for me maybe that's my this is my last year <laughs> and then two days later you're on you're on a world cup podium thinking like what the heck's going on and it was actually really cool because on my other podiums I've been the only one in the race from the from the from Great Britain but this this race we had four of the four of the young lads or three of the young lads there so we had a real team there and and to um be able to celebrate with them and you know I've got this picture of us at the bottom where I'm on their shoulders and that was the coolest moment in my my career was to to share it with the young lads hopefully inspire and show them what's possible um yeah that was it was that was that was my favorite podium for for emotions Kitzbühel was just ridiculous my second one in Oslo I never expected it and I was just it was just like right on to the next race but this one was I was able to get some real emotion from it yeah that's that's really cool and I think like 
as you said, I can't imagine sort of that mental battle between the 27th and then when you're on the podium, but that was incredible. <laughs> um, I have a few people who are keen skiers who wanted to ask me what skis you use and what sort of boots you have and things like that, sort of your equipment. So my, my skis, um, I, went, I went back to the Fisher brand of ski last year, so it's the one with the yellow bases. Um, I, I went back there just because I felt comfortable on the ski. Um, it's not certain skis work better in different conditions, but we won't go into that. Um, it's like a foot trying to tune a Formula One, not a Formula One car, but so much goes into how you set up a race ski, whether it's edge angle, base angle, there's loads. Um, but yeah, I feel com most comfortable on fishers and I feel that they're, they're the best ski, um, certainly for me. And then, uh, then in um, on slalom boots, I use the Fisher boot, but um you just can't buy the material in the shops that, that we use because they're so specific um you can get close with fisher which is the good thing for the next generation um they they make a ski that pretty much we are using for their younger skiers but boots are so technical that mm. if i could normally people would refer to a boot in flex of like 80 100 120 150 and they think like 150 is the the race boot but if our boots are measured in the the grade of plastic. So in Fisher, it's one one is the stiffest and five one is the softest. So if I'm going to get into detail, I use a three one on the on the lower boot, and that so the boots in two halves without mm. boring people. In. And then the top half, I use a four one plastic. So I actually blend two two different sort of stiffnesses together. But then again. I, sh I shave down parts of the boot inside the boot to make it flex a way that I like it. Mm. So crazy amounts go on and then different angles of the boots and, and things like that. But that's enough on that. That's enough uh, <laughs> boringness on that. But yeah, um, a lot goes into equipment and it is like fine tuning. And it makes, even if it makes 0.2 of a second of a difference over a minute's run, that can be the difference between either a top 10 and a top 20 or a top five and a podium. So. Yes, a lot, a lot of work goes in in the summer just to making sure that you're comfortable for the winter. And are the skis longer or shorter than sort of your normal ski, if you will, like for people who just go on that? Um, so the skis I use are probably shorter. Um, it depends. There's regulations around lengths, etc. In slalom, the minimum length you can use is 165. So <laughs> everyone uses 165 because they turn quicker. And then in downhill, they use two meters 20 skis, which you just wouldn't want to ski on because um, if I put them on and I'm not really like thinking about what I'm doing, it's so easy just to fall over when you're doing slow speeds because <laughs> they're just horrendous. I can imagine. Um, yeah. So do you, like you mentioned to your fiance, do you two ever go on like recreational ski holidays or do you still go with your family? Um, to ski holidays or are they a bit like well you're a professional Dave like you just go to like we're not that good now well it's funny because my fiance used to race as well for, for the Netherlands um, and we've literally only skied together like recreationally for half a day like ever and we've been together almost 11 years now so um, I just don't have time for that it's something I really look forward to after skiing when, mm. when, we, when we can fit it in but yeah I'd I rarely even just ski for, for fun at the moment. It's, it's very much training day is a training day um, yeah. and a rest day needs to be a rest day. 
so the body can the body needs to recover and and not be tired for the next race or training day so yeah it's very it's very strict um you could you could do a bit more um but i like to i like to go through my routines and just make sure that i'm doing everything i can for the race and i'll i'll do the powder days in the coming years hopefully <laughs> yeah have you got like a favorite resort in in europe um um, there are a lot of good resorts. Um, I always try. I I train a lot in Obergurgel, Hochgurgel in uh, in Austria, yeah. and that that's like that resort has everything. Um, mm. If you were, if you wanted to go to a resort that had everything, I definitely I'd go there. Um, if you like an apres ski, you're not going to be disappointed. If you like if you like really good snow on piece, it's at two thousand meters, so it's phenomenal all year and late so if you want to go in april it's still really really good and then they've got so much like free skiing and and powder skiing that you literally you won't get bored there if you did get bored there's so many resorts just down the road that you could try as well um and the value for money in austria um i find is way way better than france if you like in austria if you you pay for a, a room where you you think right that's that's on the steep side. You will get a big room, a nice room. You'll get very good food. And I find if I go to France and and the organizers always put a, put us up in hotels, so you never know where you're going to stay. But you always go to France and it's small rooms. Um, just things aren't aren't as done as well. Yeah. The the infrastructure's been in, invested in in Austria, so the lifts are all the new lifts, the heated um, seats. Um, heated seats. Yeah, heated seats on the on the chair lifts. Oh, goodness. That's yeah. It's, uh, it's luxury but it's also cheaper so yeah i think the austrians are doing it right is it the french French have bigger resorts that's their sort of niche the austrian resorts are a little bit smaller but um i'd say value for money and apres ski way way better yeah is it is it the niederhot in obergurgel is that the yeah they've got a few i was actually going to get married at at the um hohenmutt alm it's called the home alm restaurant right at the top last april um and that's just if you go to the very top you've got this panoramic view of 360 view of just i was praying it wasn't raining (laughs) or like snowing but it's beautiful up there yeah and then you could like ski down as husband and wife no because it'd be midnight dark and i'd I'd hope that i'd had a i'd be able to relax and have one or two drinks (laughs) so (laughs) i get the lift we went to Merry Bell, like March 2020, and then as we left on the Saturday, all the resorts started shutting because of COVID, and we literally just oh, really? the time. But yeah. um, we found like that was the first time we'd been to Merry Bell. We normally go to Morzine, but I, I liked how you could do sort of the three valleys and yeah. That. We used to have our British Championships in Merry Bell always at the start of April, mm. um, so that's where you get the huge amount of skiing. Yeah, like there's so much skiing around there, and. And you can ski for two weeks, and you will you will barely do the same run if you if you wanted to. Um, so yeah, that's where I say the French have bigger resorts. Yeah, um, yeah, they're just the three valleys is massive. It's it's incredible how how it's all linked. Yeah, we went to um, we skied from I'll get it up. We skied from Val one day. Yeah. And I was sort of the the ski tour for me, my mum, my dad, and my boyfriend, and we went. Um, let me day four we did seven and a half hours solid yeah. which was 32.3 miles of skiing 
Um, I didn't factor in um, a lunch break. That was my problem. Oh. I thought it wouldn't take as long to get to Valterin because there they have like um, a zip wire. So you got to like the top point and then you could like zip wire down. But the zip wire was shut. So then my happy little ski campers with me were not happy with me. And it got to like two minutes before all the lifts were shut in and the slopes were all like, you know, when they get all mogly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Horrible. Horrendous. Um, and everyone was not happy with me. And I was like, come on, team, let's keep going. <laughs> but um, yeah. And then with slopes, well, you said you don't recreationally ski, but like when you were younger, would you ever um like prefer like the big wide open slopes with like you know when they go between the trees and there's the little yeah. jumps would you ever do that when you were sort of not training when you yes were when I was younger I'd do would do anything we'd bomb through the trees on these little narrow paths with little you try and jump double jumps and it felt like a motocross track uh, and then it, and then you just fly down the open wide piece it was it was great fun um absolutely loved it as a kid and when you're a kid everything feels massive so it's just like this paradise that you're in um like when I go somewhere now I'm like did I really think that was so big as a kid it's like speaking of the chairlifts in Maribel they had like cameras so when you just got to the end you could do like a selfie and then it would come up with like Oh, really? one thing but I think I prefer heated seats to that because like yeah, yeah that is the way forward um and then there's like the Indian slopes like the little ones between the trees I think like when we we download ski tracks I don't know if you do right, that yeah but um no I've never done that we're just we're quite competitive to see how fast we can go so like yeah, we all yeah. have our helmets on and I'm like right let's just go and then um, I try and carve, but I find that like my skis always just sort of catch the snow and then I sort of fall over. But um, me and my boyfriend are going down this one slope and it's called Jerusalem. And it's like, you know, when it's going to be a good ski slope because it starts at like 60 and then it goes like 59, 58. So, you know, it's going to be like a really long one. Long one, yeah. It's really, really wide. And we just went for it. And there was, it was a, a, it was a red, but it wasn't steep. So we we're just going like up and down and up and down. And at one point, like I, I literally couldn't, I said to, I said to Phil, I was like, we literally can't stop. So we had to like snow plow and then go up the mountain to slow down. And then we ended up trying like knock ourselves out in a way. So then we could slow down. But I think that's just a young thing trying to go fast, but I did get up yeah. to like 57 miles an hour which was yeah. very impressed I was very impressed I don't think it's just a young thing I think everyone loves the see how fast they can go method yeah. yeah when they've got them little speed camera things you know like at the bottom of some slopes and you're like trying to get through and um, oh the speed gun yeah yeah I'm always trying to see like if I would do that but yeah um, I was going to ask if you um if you enjoyed like that apro ski scene in like um not I really. don't really right now now I don't I don't even get involved in that scene when I was younger and say like 20 years old um and we'd always have like the British champs in Marybelle and at the end of the British champs you could certainly see that there was a bit of that race key going on in the like after the racing and stuff before maybe you go to the next race but uh yeah I, right now I it's cool to just pop in, but I would have a coffee instead of having a um, a vodka Red Bull or something like the Austrians love. They call it a flugel. Um, but yeah, I don't. I certainly can't in the season get involved in that. It's um, it would just be shooting myself in the foot for the next race. Um, I certainly look forward to doing that later on in in my life. But um, yeah, now I don't. I mean, I rarely, I very rarely drink from 
pretty much now until March next year, I'll barely touch alcohol because I'm just getting back into my fitness training and everything. And, and yeah, we can't, we can't, um, we can't afford to the body. You have, we have to treat, I wouldn't say like a temple, but you know, we have, we certainly have to watch what we're doing and yeah, yeah getting, having a few too many drinks now, you probably, you wouldn't feel it in the long run much, but you would feel it for the next week's training and yeah, mm. you wouldn't get as much out of it. So yeah, we just have to watch that. When you were in Maribel, did you go to La Folie Douche when you were doing the... We always, we always, always used to go to Barometer. Oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't think La Folie Douche was there, actually. When we, that... when we went, it's so expensive, like it was ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. But it was is, you'd have to pay like eight, nine pounds a pint. Which is cheap way, which is why Austria is half the price. Oh, I think yeah. I think we'll have to go. I can't wait to go. Obviously, like we missed it this year, so yeah. oh, twenty. Well, yeah, this year, so it'd be nice to go again. When you're racing, how many um, days break do you have between each race? Um, it depends. Some races, like the first race of the season, from because I only do slalom, so I'm not doing other other events which are always on. Like there's a race every weekend, but in slalom there's not so the first race I'll have a three-week break to the next race which I don't really like because you do a race and then you're like right I want to race uh, and then you've got to wait three weeks um, so that's like the longest we'll have and then between Kitzbühel and Schladming at the end of January we literally have a day in between um, so that's tough to get the body recovered travel is three hour two and a half hour drive from Kitzbühel to Schladming I yeah. mean that's where the top teams that who have like a 20 million pound budget they all get in a helicopter and fly over oh wow um but i just jump in the back of the van and lie down and Sleep. it's not that far right so um <laughs> yeah that's um that's where you have to really try and recover as quick as you can and that's where the summer training also comes into play how how fit you are how you can turn your body around how quick you can and when you're getting a little bit older those sort of things do become a little bit harder um, you have to think about it a little bit more, but it's it's not too bad. And if we turn now to the cafe that you and your fiance have in Tarleton, do you want to talk a bit about that for the listeners? Yeah, so um, kind of jumped into that. Never been involved in running a, a business really at all. But with skiing, it, I always feel like I've just got the blinkers on. And there's so much out there in the world that... I was like, what, what's it like? Like, what, what is skiing like? That's been my life. So I've never done anything else. And I had this burning desire to, to do more in my life, not just be a ski racer. A, I can't do it forever. But B, I was almost bored of just solely focusing on that. Um, so when a cafe came available, and we live in Talton now um, for the last three and a half years. So I asked my fiance if she she fancied running it because obviously I've got a train and that and, and we decided to go for it. So yeah, we, we set up, uh, almost two years ago, took on a pandemic in the first 12 months and still doing so. Um, but it was a passion of mine. I love coffee. Um, and, and we're doing pretty well. Um, just by doing the basic, trying to, trying to make good quality, um, fresh food, good coffees, good cakes, um, and a nice environment so that's what we're doing with we, we were hoping to expand a little bit last year but obviously we were we couldn't with covid so yeah there's the, um, there's so much work to do there and my fiance is 
obviously putting in the groundwork and talking to you while she's prepping for the day <laughs> so yeah she, she does great um and, and the staff do as well we've got thankfully we've got some great staff who got us through the winter and we mm. stayed open for takeaway so yeah we um we kept grafting we kept working um like like us northerners learned to do so yeah. yeah it was a passion of mine and after skiing for sure i'll i'll do a bit in the cafe um now i've i'm quite often there and and i will lend a hand when absolutely necessary but obviously i've got to also focus on training and yeah when i'm not training recover for the next session in that day or the next day so and what was the obviously like boskins it says ski in it what was sort of yeah. the thought behind the name so before we took it over it used to be called the chocolate rooms and the guy who had it was who made his own chocolate in there um etc um so we kind of wanted to have our own um take on it and we were thinking about names and we were thinking about all different things and then the building itself is called the boskins it used to have it used to be like a, a cow shed and i, I believe the boss a boskin is something to do with like separating the cows or so I'm not going to get into that. I don't know what it is, but I thought, right, well, let's keep it local. It's we're not going to be some fancy name. I don't really I didn't fancy that anyway. Uh, and it just so happens that it has ski in the middle of it. So we played on that with the with the design of the logo, etc. We've got skis as the eye, which which Mandy designed. And um, we went for that. So, yeah, we tried to keep it a sort of local theme and um, but then put our like we met skiing so we have our ski theme inside with I've got my Olympic bibs in there and I might I've been asked if I'm going to put my cowbell that I won in Adelboden for the podium um, you get this massive cowbell as a prize and I've been asked if I'm putting that in there so yeah I'll, pro I'll, I'll probably I'll probably figure out how I can get that in there so if people want to see it um, they can they can look at that as well. Yeah that'd be really good so are you open now outside or have you not got yeah we're, yeah we're open outside um i actually i got my hands dirty and did the uh got the flowers and and the outdoor shrubbery ready on tuesday and from wednesday so we're open wednesday to sunday at the moment with the idea to to go more when we can we just have to go with the flow at the moment because yeah. no one knows what's happening anyway um so wednesday to sunday and um yeah open outside thankfully we've got cracking weather at the moment so yeah, yeah had my lunch there yesterday and and uh, might go back again for a cake after my trade. <laughs> no. Well, if if um, I'll probably be coming in the next, you know, so often I'll make sure I have a look at the the shrubs and see how, how well you did. Yeah, with them. Hopefully, they're not dead by then. <laughs> Otherwise, I've shanked it. Um. So just to like sum up, what what's next for you? You've said like the Winter Olympics. What are your sort of future sort of goals or? What are you thinking? Well, I'm probably going to have to graft a bit in the cafe so Mandy doesn't have to do as much work. <laughs> I think that's my future goal. But no, um, in terms of skiing, obviously the, the Winter Olympics is 2022. So next February um, <laughs> in Beijing, like we said. Um, so that's a very easy goal to have in my mind. Um, a short-term short goal, but it's always been a long-term goal of mine. But it's just short-term now because it's less than 12 months. And then, yeah, just put everything I've got into that. Um, you really put your body on the line as an athlete. Like you, you, um, you smash yourself in the gym, on the bike, running, just to try and get that extra percentage out of yourself. So do that, I think, for another year. And then, 
Yeah. And I always wanted to be a young dad, but that ship sailed as I'm now 34. So, yeah, I think um, I'd love it if, I, if I'm fortunate enough to have a family, then I'd, I will probably go down that route and, and base myself in the UK. I'll probably still stay involved in skiing in, in some way. But for now, it would. But yeah, for the certain, certainly the not so distant future, I would just pretty much do it in the UK so that mm. um, I'd be around Mandy, my fiance, more, a bit more time with my family. And I, I, I love the, I love Lancashire. I love the Northwest. Um, so yeah, I, I like being around here. So yeah, that's my, that's my plan. If I, if I can pick up a medal, then fantastic. And that would, that would top off everything i'll probably just leave my ski boots on the podium and walk away and say see you later mic drop <laughs> yeah see you later <laughs> that's enough um yeah. yeah so that's that's the plan if i mean i'm always open that if i was to get a, the right offer to carry on um if i was still felt like i could do it at 35 then i'm open to that but in my mind it's to the olympics and then time to move on with my life and and give a bit of time back to my family, basically. Mm. Wow, that sounds very exciting. I look forward to watching watching you at the Olympics next year in Beijing and all that that jazz. I think you can definitely do it. And then just the boots on the podium and then just like, I'm... Yeah, I'm we'll good ending. <laughs> but I, I've got to do it first. <laughs> yeah, all the training and that. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for, thanks for coming on today. I really enjoyed it. To follow along with what Dave is up to, you can follow him on Instagram at Dave underscore riding. And to support his cafe in Tarleton, you should 100% go in and visit. And also follow them on Instagram at Boskins Cafe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at from a Lancashire lass.